If you were running for office, have you ever wondered what negative features your opponent might try to dig up on you? I confess that I have. In these election seasons and things come up, I think about, so what would somebody get on me? And I would like to think that they would have a really hard time coming up with anything on me. But I'm sure there's a couple thousand other politicians who would have said the same thing. What dirt would they look for in our lives? Would they find something in recent years or would they have to go all the way back to 10th grade when we cheated on a math test or took a cookie off a plate in the kitchen when we weren't supposed to or something worse? In this scenario, of course, it's their strategy to get others to think about your negatives and to make them big. And in the eyes of the world, our lives are defined by our actions. The good and the bad are on the list. Today, through the life of Solomon, who's known as one of the most famous kings of all, we are going to discover how we love God, how we love our neighbors, how we love ourselves in our fallen humanity while receiving and extending a grace too powerful to name. Today, the lectionary takes us to Solomon's prayer for wisdom, which is the beginning of his journey. Now, here are some facts about Solomon. He was born in 1010 BCE, he was the 10th son of King David and the second king of ancient United Israel. He, like Saul and like David, was a king for 40 years in one of the highest and most prosperous periods of Israel's history. Some call it the golden age of Israel. He composed 3,000 parables and 1,005 poems. He was commissioned by God to build the first temple. He was visited by world leaders who were amazed by his wisdom. He made Israel a world power, and a great wealth flowed into the kingdom. He increased trade, and he set up a tax system. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. He built a palace, walls, citadels, storage cities, and more. We could go on, but how did he get there? In this passage, we're going to look at a defining moment in Solomon's life in his life trajectory, where God asked him a big question. Let me read this together. Let's read this together. First Kings chapter three, verse five to 14. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in the dream by night and God said, ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one 
like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, and I will lengthen your life. Now we read this and, and we hear all these accomplishments of Solomon, and we go, wow, what a man, what, that's crazy, all the great things that happened to him. And, and wow, would I have thought of a question like that to ask. King Solomon is known as one of the wisest people of all time and the greatest king of all time. And yet, like anybody else, he's human. And by the end of his life, Solomon had made a lot of bad choices. So there could be a sense that that just erases everything that he had done before. He had so many wives, over 700 of them. I mean, how do you keep track of that? He built shrines and idols for them. He let them believe and worship any god they wanted. His children ended up tearing apart the kingdom. He killed his own brother, Andijah. And by the end of his life, he was barely worshiping God. We could easily forget everything else that he had done that was good. And it's so easy for us to dismiss people because of their flaws. So with the passage that we read in mind and the whole picture of Solomon in front of us, the good and the bad, I want us to look deeply into ourselves as a child of God and a sinner saved by grace to recognize that we are a package to be remembered well and not so well. In today's culture, Solomon with this profile might just be canceled. Perhaps you've been hearing about the cancel culture. This culture has actually been around for quite a while. It's not just a new political thing, though we've been hearing about it more lately. The first reference to it was actually in 1991 in a film called New Jack City where a guy decided to cancel his girlfriend. He was done with her. She'd made bad choices in his mind. He canceled her. And so from there, that word was starting to be used throughout time. And in 2015, the rise of this and the idea of canceling someone had become polarizing topics of debate. And it's simply defined as a celebrity or a company or other public figure or historical figure who does or says something offensive. A public backlash happens, often fueled by social media. And then comes the call to cancel that person. That is to effectively end their career or revoke any of the good they have done through boycotts or disciplinary action or just dismissing. In recent months, years, we can all think of people who have been canceled, who have gone out of vogue, who've been shut down because their behavior has been offensive or they did something in their past. We're not gonna name names here. It's true. We do have a hard time listening to the music or watching movie of someone or trusting someone or respecting someone who has done some horrible things. We don't wanna affirm or contribute to someone who has not lived honorably. Some statues have been torn down because they glorify, glorify slavery. People's names are being removed from buildings. We all have to decide what we do with this cultural flow. Some of it certainly seems justified. Other parts seem like a strong and perhaps even an overreaction at times. 
We're all just trying to make things right somehow. But in the story of Solomon, in the whole of the Bible, God's amazing grace comes into play. We cannot ignore it for any of God's creation. It is a grace given through Jesus' death and resurrection that is for all. And so I believe the big idea for this whole teaching itself is that grace brings life. How do we love God? How do we love our neighbor? How do we love ourselves knowing our God has given us grace and calls us to be people who bring both justice and grace? How do we reconcile this as we think about all the biblical characters, some of the Bible's greatest characters who were also guilty of big things? Like Noah and Isaac and Jacob and Rahab and Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David, Paul. Were I to mention their transgressions, the things they did wrong, this would no longer be for family viewing. Have we let them off the hook, but not those in our present day world? How do we navigate this? Let's go back to Solomon's prayer. In the words we read today, Solomon comes humbly before the Lord. He sought God to be the best king he could be. And some say Solomon had been thinking about this all day, the day before or days before, and thus this dream came alive in him. And that has happened to all of us at some point as we've been pondering something. God spoke deeply to him. And in verse 6, God's great and steadfast love is is acknowledged by Solomon. And that great and steadfast love is has said in the Hebrew, God's great bounty. And Solomon rightly admits his position in verse 7 as an infant in his understanding that he needs help going in and out. He needs somebody to hold his hand. He realizes his inexperience. And many believe that Solomon was not even age 20 yet when he did that. So in verse 9, he asked for wisdom and how to govern God's people. And in the Hebrew, he was asking for a hearing heart. That includes both the head and the heart. It's a mind that is able to put itself in the place of others. Not coincidentally, he is asking for wisdom and understanding to see human beings as God sees them. This we can only do with God's help. And of course, God is pleased with Solomon because Solomon could have asked for three wishes, could have rubbed the bottle like the genie and asked for three wishes. But instead, he asks for wisdom and understanding. But after all that, after all these great things that Solomon has done, we also know that there is no one in the Bible who perhaps disappoints us more than Solomon. He had all these resources. He had asked the great question, Solomon may have been crowned the king, but all of us are also set aside by God to be his people in the world. And even so, we can also disappoint and do disappoint, all of us. Earlier this week, Pastor Colleen and I were talking about the sermon, bouncing some ideas back and forth. And we were thinking about a question that often comes up that are there people who should be canceled? And she said, well, maybe the problem is not so much that we have to choose who to cancel, but we 
but who we have chosen to glorify in the first place. Let me say that again without stumbling. Maybe the problem is not so much that we have to choose who to cancel, but who we have chosen to glorify in the first place. Those we make bigger than life all are human. All of us are broken, and each of us is in need of redemption, transformation, grace. How do we decide who to judge as unworthy of our honor, our money, our good esteem? We all have the capability of good and evil. Solomon made some poor choices, yet he also stands out as someone who brought God much glory and expanded his kingdom. And this scripture shows Solomon's good intentions. Catherine Hoke, who leads an organization that helps people out of prison be able to succeed and to find purpose in life, said this, all of us are X-somethings. What would it be like to be known for the worst thing we'd ever done? Would any of us want to be known for the worst thing you've ever done? Not me, not any of us. Human nature is to let the, the world be the loudest voice naming all that we have ever done wrong, and yet that's not how God sees us. And because of Christ, none of us have to be known first for our faults and our bad choices. Grace brings life. Perhaps you've been hearing about Hamilton the Musical. It's been all over the place recently because Disney Plus has put it out live and you can have the best seat in the house. Many of you may have seen it live. You may be listening to the soundtrack. It tells the story of uh, a forgotten American founding father, Alexander Hamilton, and his ascent out of poverty and to power against the backdrop of the American Revolution. It tells of his amazing mind to think and, and write, helping to build this emerging country of ours. And yet in all of his brilliance and impact, Hamilton too was a flawed individual. He let his passion and his ambition get in the way of healthy relationships. He burned bridges in his marriage and with his governmental colleagues. And his jealousy of Aaron Burr, another politician, was so great that they decided to have a duel to prove who was right, and Hamilton died at age 49 in that duel. Often lost in this show, though, is a theme of grace. Eliza, Eliza Hamilton, long-suffering wife, showed amazing grace to her husband after he had had a lengthy affair and after he had let their own son die in a duel and, of course, after he allowed himself to be caught up in a duel. And in a song about three-quarters of the way through the musical titled It's Quiet Uptown, Alexander Hamilton is still alive. He's in a struggling marriage following that affair, and their son is dead. They're walking through uptown New York, where it's quiet. And they're reflecting on their marriage and the unimaginable sadness after the death of their son. Now, whether you've heard this song or not, let the words of grace that you hear here flow over you. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote these great words. It says, uh, and uh, Hamilton is saying to Eliza in this scene, look at where we are. Look at where we started. I know I don't deserve you, Eliza, but hear me out. That would be enough. If I could spare 
his life, meaning their son. If I could trade his life for mine, he'd be standing here right now and you would smile and that would be enough. I don't pretend to know challenges we're facing. I know there's no replacing what we've lost and you need time, but I'm not afraid. I know who I married. Just let me stay here by your side. That would be enough. And then Angelica says to him, Eliza, I'm sorry, Eliza, Angelica's her sister. Eliza says to him, there are moments that the words don't reach. There's a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. They're standing in the garden. Alexander by Eliza's side. She takes his hand. It's quiet uptown. And then the chorus sings out these haunting and thought-provoking words. Forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. Can you imagine? Grace brings life. Friends, we each have a story. We've arrived at this moment standing on the foundations of all of our life's failures and accomplishments. And I'm only here before you by God's grace. I could have made any number of destructive choices, but in any number of circumstances that have taken me down a wrong path, away from walking with God, away from being here and sharing these words with you this morning. Living in this grace is not easy. You and I will be tested. Count on it. Let me ask you today, can you imagine the grace of God that is too powerful to name? Are you willing to receive it? Can you imagine forgiveness extended to you by God who would never seek to cancel you through his powerful grace? Can you imagine forgiving yourself even when hearing the louder voices that want to cancel you. Can you imagine forgiveness extended by you to one that you would rather cancel? May we seek to glorify God and to ask his forgiveness when we make unhealthy and destructive choices. May we first pray for those who are in the present, who are living, who are among us as neighbors, as public figures, as leaders, rather than cancel them. And may we remember God's love for us is so great that he has chosen and chooses to cancel our sins and the sins of everybody who has ever lived and will live. We ourselves are never canceled to him. And no one, no one created by God is beyond the reach of his love and his grace too powerful to name and beyond what we could possibly imagine. Grace brings life. In these quiet moments, know you can receive God's forgiveness. He does hear your prayer. And as you walk through life and you're processing some of these things, trying to figure out 
how to receive God's grace or how to give God's grace, and you want more prayer, feel free to reach out to our pastors, to reach out to somebody you trust, to pray for you. We're here for you. We walk with you. May the Lord bless us all as we continue to learn more about his grace. It's too powerful to name. And may that grace bring life. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.